0: Hi everybody, welcome to Bible study, good to see you tonight. We're going to take a few moments and pray and then get started with the Bible study. So let's pray. Father, thanks for just uh, presence here. Uh, we recognize, we accept, we glorify, we give you thanks and praise that as we gather in the name of Jesus that you're here in our midst. So we just uh, thank you for being here. We thank you for speaking. We thank you for revealing. We thank you, God, for bringing your peace and your joy and bringing your grace tonight, we ask that your word would be open to us. We pray for the Holy Spirit to apply your word to us, to our hearts, to our lives. And we pray, Father, that you would empower our time. Uh, God, I pray you anoint your word as it goes forth. And I pray, Father, that you be glorified through what we do here tonight. And we ask, God, that this would be a time, a time of receiving, a time of encounter, a time, God, when uh, we just are able to draw closer to you. I want to see you tonight, God. We give you thanks. We ask these things in Jesus' name, Amen. 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 If you have your Bibles, we're going to open to Second Chronicles, the Book of Second Chronicles. If you need a Bible to locate on the tables? Feel free to grab one, use it. And as always, if you need a Bible, uh, you can always feel free to take that with you. We obtain Bibles to give away. reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible Study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle. And you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. It could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. It could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. Second Chronicles. I need a volunteer to read verse uh, chapter seven, verse fourteen. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. All right, thanks. Uh, this is a, a passage where Solomon had dedicated the temple, and after or during the dedication of the temple, which involved a lot of worship a lot of, a lot of sacrifice, involved a lot of the things that they used to do then to uh, express themselves before God, uh, he prays, and it's this really long prayer. If you've ever looked in the Bible, it like goes on like for pages. He, he prays uh, after and during the dedication, and so as part of his prayer, he was he brings up scenarios and he brings up different things that might happen to the people or that he could see in his wisdom that were going to be happening, and he asked God to uh, to be there for him. And I'm going to I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but just to give you an idea of what he was asking, he's like, "Well, if they turn from you, then I'm going to ask you to be there for them If they Do this, and I ask you to be there for him. And and he's asking him to intervene. He's asking him to pour out his grace. He's asking him to pour out his mercy. He's asking him to take care of God's people. That's what he's doing. And so this passage is God responding to that prayer. God responded to it in the middle of the night. He appeared to Solomon in the middle of the night, and he spoke to Solomon. Solomon. And this was part of the response that he gave to that prayer. And in the prayer, like I said, Solomon's asking for specific things. Now, if you read this passage, the reason it's worded the way it's worded is because Solomon had worded the prayer the way he worded it. And so God was responding directly to what Solomon had prayed. And so what this response is, is really a revelation of God's grace It's really a revelation of God's mercy, and it's important because it speaks back to that which Solomon had spoken, and it indicates a certain amount of response, it indicates a certain amount of dialogue that takes place during prayer. Uh, When we define prayer as a church and as a people, as we train people in prayer, one of the things that we emphasize is the idea of dialogue, communication, and it, that this is a two-way kind of a communication. And this is a great example from the Old Testament of that kind of two-way communication. That Solomon had prayed something, and he prayed in front of a bunch of people, he prayed in front of the nation, it was this great priestly, kingly prayer that he prayed for the nation, and yet God still responded to that, even though it was this huge public prayer. I still responded to that very individually with Solomon. And it was a, a response that was just, it was like a friend speaking to a friend. And so I want to reemphasize an expectation that we need to have that as we pray, that it's a dialogue. And I tell this story a lot because it was a turning point for me in my faith. Uh, it was one of the first things that, one of the first jobs I ever had As a Christian, was uh, in an intervarsity Christian fellowship group that I was a part of, and it was. I think I got this job the first week I went to a meeting, and they asked me to run the prayer meeting, which was fairly safe because no one went to the prayer meeting. (laughs) And so they asked me to run the prayer meeting, and I agreed to. And so you know I showed up to the prayer meeting. I think they had them twice a week or something like that. And so I showed up to the first one. I was the only one there. But I had uh, been going to a Bible study at a Lutheran church on kind of my spare time or whatever. And even though that was a really boring Bible study because we were going through the genealogy in Matthew. Jesus' genealogy goes from Jesus back to Abraham. And so we'd been studying that for like six weeks. And I'm not even exaggerating. It was like six weeks of studying that genealogy. This guy was combing through every name in the genealogy and explaining who they were and just going to town on every one of these names. Now, I'm a new believer. I mean, I suppose if I heard the teaching now, I might receive it differently. But at the time, I mean, I'm 19 years old. I'm a new believer. I just don't care, all right? And so I'd get up every now and then during the Bible study to wander around so I wouldn't fall asleep. And they had this book table that was out in the lobby and they had all these hippie books and they had all, you know, like Jesus People books and all this stuff <laughs> on the book table. I mean, literally Jesus People USA books. And so there was one book there and it, I forget the name of it right in a second, but it was on prayer. And I just grabbed it and it had some hippie scene on the front, you know. <laughs> uh, and I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but it, it just had this... this distinctly early 70s front on it. And so I grabbed that and I read it. It was like 70 pages. And, and so I read it before the next prayer meeting. They didn't know what I was doing. I figured, well, I need a book or something. And so this hippie book was all about turning prayer time into a conversation. And And that's exactly what they, and they gave examples in how to do that. They gave suggestions and all that. And so I just gave it a shot. So you know, so when I first started, like I said, I was the only one there, so I had a conversation. like It would be like we're sitting in a circle, and there's an additional person there, and we're all conversing. And so after a while, another person came, and then they were conversing, and then we were talking to each other, we were talking to Jesus, and then another person came, and then we were talking to each other, we were talking to Jesus. And pretty soon over time, and it wasn't that long, but it was over time word got out that something weird was happening at prayer meeting. And so the leadership showed up to see what weird stuff was happening, what hippie stuff was happening at the prayer meeting. And so, and so we just did the conversational thing. And I mean, it just caught on. People were just really into it because really nobody knew how to pray. We'd all been brought up, or they had all been brought up in church, you know, like from time they were little, and they'd been part of youth group and all that stuff. And so they had a certain model of prayer, but they really didn't know what they were doing. And I didn't know what I was doing for sure, and I missed youth group, and I missed a lot of the stuff that would have taught me how to do that. And so this was all I had. So I like, let's try this. And so we were doing it, and uh, and it was revolutionary to me. And uh, I I, just, I share that, and I've shared that before, and I'll likely share it again, so forgive me. But it was revolutionary for me uh, in, in in what I understood prayer to be. And so I began to look at the Bible a little bit differently too, and then things like this would open up to me. Like what? Like what? Like Solomon. He's saying this prayer, but God's responding to that. It's a conversation. But I'm recognizing it as a conversation. Because I have an expectation that's how God works. I have an expectation that's how God does things. And so we've got this conversation that's going on. And this response is part of that conversation that God was having with Solomon. And, and there's a lot of good truth in it. There's a lot of good things about it. There's a lot of good things that you can take out of it. And I've heard plenty of sermons on this verse because, I mean, people love this verse. The church loves this verse. And I've heard guys talk on it, and they've talked about revival, they've talked about reformation, they've talked about a lot of things, uh, about changing things, changing what's going on in, in the country, whatever. But that's what they talk about. But the verse is really a lot more personal than that. And, and I'm not saying there's not some general truth in it, because there is. We're going to look at some of the general truth. But the verse in and of itself, the way it is written and the, the way that it was intended from the very start, was very personal. And it was between Solomon and God, and God back to Solomon in their conversation. And so we get this opportunity to eavesdrop on their conversation and hearing what God said. And so we take hold of that. So I hope that gives you a little bit of context as to where this comes from and and why this is here in this spot, in this place. You can find it in another place in the Bible, but it's it's in this spot in this place because it's a it's a direct response to something that Solomon had prayed as part of their conversation now during the dedication of the temple god sent fire and i don't know if you remember all the story about the dedication of the temple but god sent fire and consumed the sacrifice and and there there was a, a glory that came over the temple and god assured his presence there. And and so Old Testament-wise, you look at that, because this is Old Testament, and Solomon and Temp- it, that, that, that was where God was going to dwell. And he assured them of that. That this was the place of sacrifice, right? The temple would be the place of sacrifice, and this is the place where God would dwell. And the reason that's important that we understand that is because that's Old Testament- New Testament-wise, we're the temple. And so understanding what happened with the building temple, what happened with the old temple, is important because it helps us to understand who we are. It helps us to understand our identity in Christ. It helps us to understand our identity as the dwelling place of God, as the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. It helps us to understand... That more than just a building, uh, God really doesn't, in, in the sense of what we're talking about here, doesn't really care about buildings as much as He cares about you. You know we've had opportunities as a church to buy a building, and I, I'm resistant. I've been resistant from the very beginning. Because it's a natural order of things that you start a church, you rent for a little while, then you buy a building. That's what you do. And, you know, it's been, what, 20 years later? We still haven't bought a building? Well, it's not because they haven't come up for sale. And it's not because there hasn't been buildings that have been offered to us even. But it's because I'm resistant to that because the church isn't a building. And the temple of God isn't a building. And what we need is a meeting place. And what we have needed from the very start was a meeting place. And and there was something powerful about the days when we were a little bit nomadic as a church. Because you'd think, well, we're we're meeting in all these different places. I mean, how does that work? It worked great. We grew during that time. There There wasn't any hindrance to the work of God by moving around a little bit. There wasn't any hindrance to the work of God by not being stationary or having some permanent spot. There wasn't any hindrance whatsoever. And so and, and so I, I was learning through all of that and I was used to that. Because you think about college campus ministry, that's where I came out of. That's what I knew. That, that's really what I knew. That's what I knew how to do. And on a college campus, man, you might be in a different room every week. You know, we tried to get the same room every week, but sometimes... A professor would take that room. And I, I'm not a professor, so I can't argue with that. So they're going to take that room, but well, we're going to be in a different room. Or there's going to be a group that wants that room, and they're a bigger group than we are, so they're going to get that room. And so we got to move somewhere else. And so there would be all of this movement that would be taking place, not only from semester to semester, or year to year, because that was a given, but even within the semester, even week to week, we might have to move and we have to be somewhere else. It, never, it was never part of my, my thought process oh, that's going to be a problem. You just let people know, right? And if somebody shows up, you leave a note on the door. And you tell them where you went. And then they go there. It's okay. But there's something powerful about that. And I want you to think in terms of God and how He taught His people to worship. How did He teach them to worship? He, he, he had them build a tent. And that tent would be packed up and moved and they would go as the Spirit of God would give them direction to go. You know, they'd, they'd sit somewhere as long as the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire would sit there in the wilderness. And then all of a sudden they'd be on the move. The pillar of cloud or fire would be on the move. That's the Holy Spirit moving. Then they'd pack up that tent and they'd move and then they'd set that tent up wherever that, those pillars stopped and then they'd worship there. And when they were starting to get on the move again, they'd pack them up, go somewhere else, and then they'd worship in the new place. And it was interesting to me that that was the original way that God was teaching them as a people. You know, gaining their identity as a people as they moved across the wilderness toward the promised land. He was teaching them this this lifestyle of movement. And that His dwelling place was a tent. And all through like the... You look through all of the after the Moses and after they conquered the promised land, Joshua, and you look at all the kings and you go through all the judges and everybody that they went through, even through David. When David was king, there was still a tent that was set up in Jerusalem. That's where they met God. And so when the Bible transitions uh, through Solomon into this building, and and that became whatever would be the temple. That that even that would not be permanent. And we know that that temple was destroyed. And they built another one and that one was destroyed. And they built another one and that one was destroyed. And the Bible tells us, and we'll look at this in a little bit, but the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6.19 that we're the temple. Or in 1 Corinthians 3.16. That we're the temple. And so we need to begin to understand what that means. You think dwelling place of God? Good. You think presence of God? Good. You think power of God? Good. You think revelation of God? Good. Here's some things you don't think about. Sacrifice. Yeah. Because that's part of the temple, and and so we begin a, a broader understanding of our identity in Jesus by understanding that, and so he starts off the, his response to Solomon. He's like, "If my people," and the, that word "if" is huge there. That's a huge word in that if. If my people, okay. So there, you ever take logic anything? Like, if P, then Q kind of stuff? Nobody? Yeah, somebody? All right, so logic. Uh, deductive logic is if something, then something. All right, that's the simplest form. And they usually use the letters P and Q for that. So um, so if you, let's say a simple logic equation. If A equals B and if B equals C, then what can you conclude from that? A equals C. So that's your conclusion. That's a logical conclusion. That's a simple if-then logical statement, right? So what you have here is a, a logical statement beginning. You have an if in this, and then you have a then in this. So if this is the if part that he shares here. If my people, now who does he mean by his people? Well, they're identified in the verse. His people are identified in the verse. He explains who His people are. In other words, if my people are identified as those called by God's name. And, and so what? that's just a fancy way of saying if those called by God's name, those called by God's name is a fancy way of saying uh, those who are dedicated to me. But if those who are dedicated to me and we'll stop right there. let me look at Romans twelve one and two Romans twelve one and two. All right, so here's an example in Romans chapter 12 of a function of the temple now as a function of us. All right, that's a perfect example of that. And so what you read in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that he urges them to present their bodies as what? Living sacrifices. All right, so that's, one, that's part of the temple worship was the, the sacrifice. And so in understanding our position, in understanding our identity as a temple of God, then this becomes a part of that identity. I know you don't want to, the, the people don't want to hear that. I'm not saying you don't, but people don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear about sacrifice. They don't want to hear about what that means and what that implies and, and what that could possibly translate to in their lives because it might cost them something. It might cost them something they want. It might cost them something that they like. It might cost them something that they don't want to do. And so people don't like to hear that. They don't like to hear that word sacrifice. And Paul is saying, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, which we're seeing all over this passage here, that, that you present your body's living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. How do they worship in the temple? Sacrifice. And so you have a direct correlation of you and the temple being one. And we see the function of the temple being urged upon you by the Apostle Paul in Romans 12. And so this passage here, he says, if my people who are identified as those who are called by God's name or those that are dedicated to Him, if they will humble themselves. If they'll humble themselves. Another hard word. In a culture that we live in, it's hard because people don't like to be humble. They consider being humble a weakness. They consider being humble something to be avoided. Something to run from. And and they're encouraged, and people are encouraged from the time that they're little kids to not be humble. So they, they're encouraged that if they're, they're, they're humble, there's something wrong with them. They don't see themselves correctly. They don't understand themselves correctly. And, and yet the person who can see himself or see herself correctly is a person that can be humble. Because they actually know who they are. You know, it's not enough to pretend to be something. It's just not enough. And we live in, to me, we live in a culture of form over substance. You just say it. Just say it enough times. It's got to be true. And it's not. Yeah, you it's know, just not. I remember I was playing... Uh, basketball with a couple kids. Uh, I was at a pastor's house, I was traveling, and I was playing basketball with two of the sons, and uh, and so it was, they had lowered the hoop so I could dunk it, and so I was just dunking on them like the whole time, <laughs> and they were telling me all about it, how they were going to be, they were trying to decide if they wanted to be in the NBA or the NFL but they were totally serious. It's a hard choice, right? And being as young as I was and not really diplomatic, I just looked at both those kids and like, hey, guys, neither one of you going to be in the NFL or the NBA. You're way too short. There's no way it's ever going to happen. It's not going to happen. And they got so mad at me. And they were old enough to know better. They're not like little, little kids. They're not like dunking on three-year-olds or anything. I mean, they, they were 5 five-year-olds even. I mean, they were like just uh, pre-teens probably, probably 12 maybe, 13 maybe. And I just told them, I'm like, yeah, that's just not going to happen. Why don't you make other plans? I said, you might be great athletes in high school. I have no idea. You guys are both really coordinated. That's great. Maybe you can play some college ball. I don't know. Maybe Division three. Who knows? But you're definitely not going to play in the NBA, all right? And you're definitely not going to play in the NFL. So I'm just letting you know, so whatever. And they just didn't want to hear it. Because they wanted to believe what they wanted to believe. They wanted to just tell me all about it. And and they wanted to just say what it was going to be. And you can say, well, you're just rude because, man, let the kids dream. No. Nope. And 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 I just all I'm trying to say through that is this. And you can think I'm wrong about this or whatever you want to think about it. We live we live around a bunch of people they've been dreaming their whole lives and doing nothing. Okay? Because if you just say it enough times, it doesn't mean it's gonna happen. If you want to pretend that you're this or that, it doesn't mean it's gonna happen. The Bible tells us that The first, if you if you obtain wealth slowly and incrementally, the wealth will last with you. If you obtain wealth all at once, you're bound to lose it. Anything that's worth anything is earned and gained slowly and in increments. And all I want to say about that is that in this life, I mean. You know, there used to be an old joke. How do you get to Carnegie Hall? Anybody know the answer? Practice. Yeah. Yeah. So, if someone's willing to put in the time, they're willing to put in the effort, and they have the talent, well, awesome. Get it done. Get it done. If someone's willing to put in the work and they want to be an engineer, get it done. I'm all for it. If someone wants to put in the work, they want to be an architect, good. I'm all for it. Somebody want to go to school, be a teacher, and put in the time and the effort to do that? I'm all for that. Somebody want to put in the time and the effort to do, and you can name off so many things that are open to us because we live in a place of freedom, right? And a place of liberty. And if you work hard enough, you can do that. Seriously. And I'm all for that. I'm all for encouraging people toward that. But I'm not all for just letting people live in their fantasy world. I don't think it's done us any good. And maybe I'm the mean person, but I just don't see how that's done us any good as a society. I don't see how it's done individuals any good. I don't see how it's done anybody any good. It wasn't like those kids were telling me they want to be, what, lawyers? They didn't tell me that. They didn't tell me they wanted to be doctors. They didn't tell me they wanted to be whatever it is you want to think of that they could possibly be. They told me they wanted to play in the NBA and the NFL. Do you see the difference between those things? Because I going to tell you, you can work as hard as you can work and still not make it in either one of those things because you don't have the physical skills to do it. Period. Same thing with Carnegie Hall. You can practice every day of your life, all day, all night, but if you do not have the talent, you don't have the musical talent to do that, you're not going to do that. That's all there is to it. So you can become a music teacher, you can play in a smaller symphony, you can play in whatever it is you're going to play in, you can write music, you can play and, and do uh, wedding bands, I don't know, you can do a lot of things with music, but maybe you're just not going to be able to do that. That's okay. And maybe those kids can play, you know, high school basketball, maybe like I said, Division 3 ball, whatever, and then they can enjoy themselves and be done with it, and that'll be it. That's great. But I'm not going to let people live, I mean, I guess I'll let people live if I don't care about them, I happen to care about these kids, but I, I'm just going to let people live in a fantasy world. Kind of interestingly, years later, I was doing campus ministry and both those guys showed up at one of my meetings at Syracuse University and just worshipped with us and, and we talked and we and laughed about the past and all these other things, but... And they were both, you know, going about their business and going uh, to the jobs. They had families or whatever. They're they're married, engaged, whatever was going on in their lives at the time. But it was just really super interesting to me to see, okay, they're growing up. Neither one of them were in the NBA, and neither one of them were playing in the NFL. But that was okay. That was okay. And and they, they were living their lives in reality. That was good. So I've made it my habit to dash the dreams of children. As far as I, you know, I haven't. So, Something so freeing about when your dream dies. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> 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 and I suppose, uh, and I suppose, if I'm trying to, to to convey a point here, and I hope if you pick up the point, that's worth everything I just dug a hole for. Uh, the point is this is that we're called to this place and this place is real this place of sacrifice this place of of worship this place of presenting ourselves as that living sacrifice we're called present ourselves and understand ourselves as the temple of God. We're called to understand ourselves as a place where the Holy Spirit dwells. We're called to understand ourselves as the power of God dwells. All of those things are true and all of those things are real. So let's believe that. And as far as I'm concerned, that's better than most fantasies anyway. And so let's leave behind the fantasies. Let's leave behind the 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 dream, dreamy dreams. And let's take hold of the reality that God has really given us. And and so, I want to share that because I really believe that we've allowed for, as a society, way too much dream. Way too much fantasy. And you meet people every day living in a fantasy. You do? Whether you realize it or not. You meet people that Think things about themselves that just are not absolutely not true. They are never confronted. They are allowed to continue believing whatever it is they wanted to believe, and now they're adults who can't function, at least not very well and not at a high level in society, because they're constantly fighting reality in their minds. Let's not be that. So God is speaking through Paul to the church, telling them they need to humble themselves. So there's a reality to life. And we humble ourselves because we recognize that it's God. We recognize that what have we done? Well, it's God. What have I ever done that's great? Well, it has to do with God. And finding ourselves in that kind of a humility. I mean, Jesus could have been prideful, right? He's running around healing all these people, raising the dead. Miracles, signs, wonders, all this stuff that's taking place. He's got thousands of people following him around. They all love him. Isn't Isn't that a ripe kind of environment for pride? Well, sure it is. But he chose not to live that way. And that was reality. I mean, he was actually doing all those things. He wasn't just talking about them. He was actually doing them. And so that was a reality that was taking place. Well, you think about that, and you think about how God had had anointed him, and he went about doing all those awesome things, but he still chose to live in humility. And so the word to us, the word to Solomon, and Solomon needed this word. It was like, if my people who are called by my name, in other words, who are identified by me, if they will humble themselves. And there's a phrase used in God's response. Uh, part of God's response, and it was a phrase that's only used in this part of Scripture. It's called the house of sacrifice. So, so God declares His temple as the place, but He still declares that now the house of sacrifice. It just has to be you, your body, who you are, presenting yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable act of worship. That is you, and so the house of sacrifice is now in me and now in you. Let's look up a few verses. First Corinthians six nineteen. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? We're not your own. Thank you. How about 1 Corinthians 3.16? Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? Thanks. How about Luke 4.18? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And so Jesus, even in his ministry, as he's declaring, this is my ministry, this is what I'm going to do, he recognizes and he gives verbal recognition to the Holy Spirit on him. You know, Acts 10.38, which I quote all, he's all the time, still do quite a bit, but in the explanation of Jesus and his ministry, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. And so you see that Acts ten thirty eight, and then you look at Luke chapter four and verse eighteen, and you understand where's the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit? Well it's in Jesus. What does that mean? Well he goes about doing miracles. That's just a fact. And so you get to Paul writing to the Corinthian church and in a couple places through there, he's talking about how, okay, well, this is you're the temple. What does that mean? You're the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that translate into you? Well, I don't know. That's up to you, right? What could it translate into you? Miracles, signs, wonders, power of God flowing? Yeah. Because that's how it translated into Jesus. And yeah, but but we find ourselves in a position where it's like, well, that's probably gonna require a lot less of us and a lot more of him, right? We call that humility, being humble. That I I will, I will reduce, I will diminish, if He will increase. You know, so as He increases in me, I diminish, and therefore I'm ripe and I'm open and I'm ready for those kind of miracle signs and wonder type stuff to take place, or not. Because for so many people, it's like, well, I'm temple of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means I eat right. What? What? It used to be a big sign. I used to work out at the YMCA. It was a big sign uh, right above where all the workout machines were. It says, Your body is a temple. That's all it said. So it's kind of a weird interpretation of this verse or whatever. Your body is a temple. So make sure you exercise and eat right. Well, that's not what we're learning tonight. What we're learning tonight is that Our body is the temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And what that means to us isn't, oh, you need to eat right and exercise, although those are good things to do. What that means to us is is that we need to look at an example. What does that look like if your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Look, in the Old Testament, what happened in the temple? Presence of God. What happened in the temple? Sacrifice. What happened in the temple? Worship. What happened in the temple? That, all of those things were awesome things. God spoke. God revealed. God showed. Those are all Old Testament things that took place in the temple. Okay, what did that look like in a New Testament sense? Best example we have is Jesus. So the Spirit of God is in Jesus, on Jesus. Right, So he is the living, walking temple of the Holy Spirit as he's walking this earth. What'd that look like? What' that manifest as? Miracles, signs, wonders, raising the dead. All those things took place because he was the temple of the Holy Spirit. So our expectations then are that if we have the best example and this is what it's supposed to look like, then let's begin to move toward that in our lives. even Paul. Paul is another example of the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's a guy doing signs and wonders and miracles, receiving revelation of God, presenting his body as a living sacrifice. How did he do that? He did that by doing the will of God. He did that by being where God told him to be. How did that manifest sometimes? Beatings? Being beaten with rods? Being whipped? Being left for dead? Being stoned? He has shown us this is what it is as you present your body as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable act of worship. There He is. That's not desirable. Andy, why would you bring that up? Because it's true. And yet also with Paul, what did it look like to his life? It looked like miracles, signs and what even extraordinary, what the Bible describes as extraordinary miracles being done at the hands of Paul. Yeah, I mean, a miracle is awesome, right? Well, what's an extraordinary miracle? Think about that. Think about that qualifier on that word miracle. Extraordinary miracles were done through the hands of Paul. But that's what it looks like. And so we need to, as we mature in our understanding of what this is, we need to allow for our lives to reflect the reality of being the temple of the Holy Spirit. As I was talking about before, a couple more places. Second Corinthians six sixteen. Second Corinthians six sixteen. Somebody. Oh, out loud, please. Thank you. What agreement has the temple of God as idols? Are you are the temple. be their God and they shall be my people. Okay. And how about First Peter two, four and five. First Peter two, four and five. All right, And so there, if you unpack that those verses, which I'm not going to do right now, that also begins to describe not only the process of how we're being built and what that looks like and what that process looks like, but also some of the reasons for as we're being built into that house of God uh, together. And as individual dwelling places of God, God's drawing us together. He's drawing me together with you. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we're being drawn together as living stones, building a house that God is building. Right? So we need to engage. If my people, called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. As I said before, prayer is interactive. Prayer is engagement. Prayer is communication. It's our primary means of communication. The Bible is not our primary means of communication. Prayers. is. Uh, whole churches have been built on a single gospel, or a piece of the Gospel of John, and somehow, some way, they managed to grow and become an actual church doing evangelism and reaching other people for Jesus without a whole Bible. But they could pray. And they could worship. So we're called to engage. And to take the time to engage. If every conversation you ever have with somebody is you talking at them for a specified amount of time, that's annoying. Can you imagine somebody comes to your house, knocks on your door, you open the door, and they yell at you for like two minutes and then turn away and go away before you say anything? Would that be annoying? That'd be annoying to me. Or even people walk up to you on the street, and just talk at you for a minute and then turn around and leave? they hear a word you say. That's annoying. Don't be annoying. Just don't be annoying, because that is annoying. And and I just think that we need to learn how to engage. You forgot, relearn it. How do you engage people? Yeah, yeah. I went up to Ryan today. You guys know him, and he's kind of shy socially. And I went up to him. I'm like, hey, I'm gonna. I want to introduce you to Cam. Like, do you have to? I'm like, No, I don't have to. He's like, I'm a little weird about, you know, initial engagements. <laughs> I'm like, all right, well maybe another time. All right, cool. But we gotta learn how to engage, man. Right? Learn how to interact. Learn how to speak, but also learn how to listen. And take the time to do that with God. I'm not gonna get all hippie on you right now, but I mean that's really the nature of our relationship with him and our nature of our relationship with each other. Is that how are you gonna build a relationship with each other if you don't communicate? I just I have no idea. How's that happen? It doesn't. And so if all we do is, is say our peace and we just say what we're gonna say and then walk away, that's not a conversation, that's not an engagement, that's not taking time. How are you ever going to grow in your relationship with God if that's the way you treat prayer? It's like, yeah, okay, blah, 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 blah. Later. Well, what does he think? What does he have to share with you? What does he want to say about that? To allow for that, I think, is a key component of life together. Not only with each other, but with him too and And so we have to allow for that, and kinship leaders, I want to encourage you that during your time when you pray, give a little pause and see if God might say something you know, during the time of prayer, even if, the, if somebody gets a you know a little bit i don't know uncomfortable at the silence, it's not really an uncomfortable silence; it's just waiting and giving somebody an opportunity to respond. And allow for that to happen. And so there's another part. If they will pray and, he says, seek my face. That's just as you go down that verse. And seek my face. Uh, you can look at uh, Psalm twenty-seven, eight, if you want, but I'm not going to go there. Just uh, seek my face. He wants to be known by us. He wants to be known. He's not hiding. Yeah, you know, the, the verse doesn't imply that he's hiding. It's not like hide and go seek. That's not what's being implied here. He's saying he wants us to seek his face, and and what that means, and, and the the like I told you before, the Bible the Bible often speaks in in, in writes in, in persons are writing in word pictures, and so this is a word picture that he's writing it as seeking God's face, and and understanding that God wants to be found, he wants to be known by us, his face. It literally means to seek His face is to seek the parts that turn. So as He turns His head or He turns His face, that we are turning with Him. That's seeking His face. And He wants us face to face with Him. He wants us in that intimate position with Him. You know, that can be uncomfortable, right? If you're too close to somebody face to face, what do you look at? If you look at their nose, you're cross-eyed, right? <laughs> if you try to look at both their eyes, you're shifty. Because your eyes are shifting back and forth. What do you look at? You know, there is something uncomfortable about that. And yet, that's where God calls us to. He calls us face to face. He wants us face to face. And there's an intimacy being face to face. It's the part of Him that turns. And He calls us to that. He calls us into dialogue. He calls us into conversation. He calls us into relationship. He calls us to that place of being face to face. I mean, this is the Old Testament, right? That's him speaking to Solomon. And we know David was face to face with God. He was the man after God's own heart. We know that. And Solomon, as as many problems as Solomon had... Solomon was still loved by God. And Solomon was still blessed by God. And Solomon was still one that would be face-to-face with him. As many problems as he had. And so as we're face-to-face with God, he then enters into the last part of this instruction. He says, if they'll seek my face, and they'll turn from their wicked ways. Now, what's a way? What's a way? When it says wicked ways, what's it talking about? The modes of action. Hmm? Modes of action. Okay. Behavior. Hmm? Behavior. Behavior, okay. What, um, if I were to say, uh, it could be a direction, right? Now, you think of a street, are sometimes streets called ways, right. what does that indicate? yeah, so so add up everything you guys just said. you got a path, you got a direction, you got a locomotion, you've got action, you've got movement, okay, all of those things. start adding that all up together, and what you're seeing there is a pattern. Of life, it's a direction. It's a way that you're going. It's the way that you're living. And so, what God was looking for in this verse, and what He was speaking to Solomon in this verse, He's like, if the people will will really seek some intimacy with Me, if they will actually turn toward Me, if they'll spend their time in conversation with Me, and if they will change. The path, the road, the street, the locomotion, the way that they're going. If it's wicked. Then. Let me see the rest of the verse. But it's important to understand that what he's talking about in this verse isn't just, oh, I messed up today. That's all he's talking about. Oh, I didn't make the right decision today. Yeah, I'm talking to all you people that beat yourself up over everything. All right? That's who I'm talking to right now. You beat yourself up over every mistake. Stop. Stop. Some of you come out of religious traditions that you were taught that if you made a mistake, well, then, you know, until you repent, you're on your way to hell. That's what you were taught. And you, the, what, that negates the grace of God, that negates the mercy of God, and that negates all that Jesus came to tell us, that negates everything that we see throughout the New Testament, that negates even things from the Old Testament. It just negates who God is. That's not who God is. What you see with God is something like this passage here. And the idea behind this passage is that there would be people that would have chosen a life of wickedness. In other words, they chose to to live this life of wickedness and so they set their life on a particular way, a particular path, a particular road, and that they are exercising and actively involved in that wickedness as they go down this road that they've chosen for their lives. You see how that's different than I messed up today? A little bit? You understand? And the reason that's important is because even those people, and I say even just for your sake, but those people that have chosen that road for their lives, God spoke to Solomon in the middle of the night, He's like, if they will turn from their wicked way, their wicked practices, their wicked ways, the stuff that they're doing over and over and over again, if they will turn from that, That. That. So, he's not talking to... I I didn't get it right today. He's not talking to, I fell asleep during prayer last night. He's not talking to, I didn't read my Bible today. He's not talking to... Uh, I was mean to that person. He's not talking to, I flipped that guy off in the car today. He's not talking to, I may have called him a really bad name too. He's not talking about any of that. None of that. That, that, that stuff is whatever. We we picked that up. That's religious stuff that we've picked up along the way. He's talking to people who've actually just chosen to live a certain way. Like Levi the tax collector. That was a great example of somebody that he consciously made a choice to be a tax collector. You didn't slip and fall and become a tax collector. (laughs) And so here was a guy living as among the Jewish people, one of the Jewish people. Here's a guy that made a conscious choice to just screw his own people over and steal money from them on a regular basis with the backing of the Romans. And so he had gone about that practice for God knows how long before Jesus came up to him. And so he was stealing from his own people, he'd been rejected by his own family, he'd been rejected by all of his friends, anybody that knew him beforehand had nothing to do with that guy, Levi the Tax collector. Nothing. Because he chose to live like that. He chose to get rich like that, he chose to do whatever it takes to, to continue on like that, and he was going to live a certain lifestyle, and he was going to live in a certain house, He was going to have a certain amount of money and he was going to do a certain amount of things. That was his choice to do that. He was living that road until one day Jesus came up to him and he's like, follow me. And Levi closed down his tax collecting and he followed after Jesus. He changed. He changed his way. See, like here? You see that turn from his wicked way? He turned from his wicked way. He followed after Jesus and he was Jesus' disciple that day forward. That's what He's talking about. That's what He's talking about. And so, if my people, in other words, those that are identified as being called by my name, those that are dedicated to me, if they will humble themselves, they'll be the house of sacrifice, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable act of worship, if you recognize who you are as a dwelling place, as the temple of the living God, you feel pray. In other words, communicate, engage, listen, talk, share, hear. If you'll communicate and engage, and that you'll seek intimacy with God face to face not hiding anything not turning away just face to face I see you you see me for who I am now we only see what he reveals to us but he sees us for who we are we're getting in a space if you'll do those things and if you happen to be on the wrong road you'll go a different direction then what does he say here? I hear you you can be assured of these things. Remember, if, if A equals B and B equals C, we had a couple of ands in here, then A equals C. So this is what you can be assured of. God hears you. God forgives you. And God heals you. Not only does He heal you, but He heals things around you, too. You become an agent of healing. To those around you. And I have talked to lots of Christians that have been in, you know, situations where they've been at a certain job and God will bless that place of business because they work there. Period. Okay. Nobody knows that. Nobody recognizes that except for maybe the person that's working there. And they just see the blessing of God all over that place and it's because they're there. God heals God brings blessing to those that are even around you. You can be assured of that. So God hears, God forgives, and God heals and uses you as an agent of healing for those that are around you, whether actively or passively. This is the last verse. I'm going to have you open up to 1 John 1.9. And this is kind of the New Testament version of this verse. 1 John 1.9. That's where we're ending up. faithful and just all right simple verse um you gotta believe it if if you know you live your life, you know live your life, you gotta believe that if if you confess your sins Alright? and in this verse, that's the beginning, that's the if, right? If you'll confess your sins then. Everything else is God in that verse. Everything. Everything else is God in that verse. If you will confess your sins, then he will, and then read the rest of the verse. See, everything that he'll do. Because he loves you. He cares about you. He's got a grace and he's got a mercy. Because then he forgives and he cleanses. Yeah. That's what happens. We can be assured of that. You you ever wonder if God forgives you when you confess your sins? Don't. Because He does. It says it right there. Can God even forgive you? Yeah. You're included in the verse, right? We're all included in that verse. We're included in, in, in the idea of who God's people are. We're included in, as the temple of God. We're included as that. If we we're included in that. And so I want to encourage you toward that tonight. I'm just going to take a moment to respond. Uh, and I want to encourage you to respond with a simple, simple heart tonight. Respond in reality. Respond in who you are. Responding the truth, just respond where you're at too. Not where you want to be, and not where maybe where people think you are, but where you actually actually are with God tonight. So, Heavenly Father, I pray for us, and I ask that uh, we would just come before you and seek your face. That we would find ourselves uh, looking into you and into your face tonight with nothing to hide. Because there's nothing that you can't see. There's nothing you don't see in us. There's, something, there's nothing you don't know about us. There's nothing that surprises you. There's nothing that shocks you. There's nothing that uh, we've been successfully able to hide from you. Ever. And so we just look at you face to face tonight knowing that There's something freeing about that. And I pray, Father, that we would allow for the work that you want to do in us. The work of growing us and the work of maturing us. I pray, God, that we would allow for your Holy Spirit to challenge us. I pray for you to allow for your Holy Spirit to change us tonight. I pray, God, as we consider ourselves and we consider our lives and what the temple is, that we present our bodies, living sacrifices, wholly acceptable to you, our reasonable act of worship, that we would take the time to converse with you, we'd take the time to, to find that place of intimacy and relationship with you and allow for that in our lives. Whatever that time is required, whatever the effort that's required, but to really allow for that and to really pursue, God, your faith God, I thank you for your grace tonight. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your God that loves beyond what we can even understand. I pray, Father, we would begin to live more in the love that you have for us. Live more in the mercy that you've given us. Live more in the grace that you've poured out to us. And I pray for some of us it would be revelation tonight that you would open up the Old Testament of your mercy and your grace and your love that you showed so often throughout the Old Testament. You'd open up the New Testament that your mercy and your grace and the love that you showed throughout the writings of the New Testament will be open to us. I pray revelation in Jesus' name. I pray the old to go and I pray the new to come. Fill us up, God. Fill us up. Fill our hearts tonight. Fill our lives tonight. Give you thanks. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's do it by saying amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know me and Christ are homies that's good he's really cool you uh-huh. know he's super close yo your homeboy yeah all right anyways so musicians writers painters you know my cousin's a painter yeah what do you paint houses oh man my cousin your cousin should hook up yeah so yeah painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community like the comunidad well there's a lot of people yeah no yep. started in 1997